0: This is Tommy's Outdoors 113 and this is the first episode of the podcast in the new year 2022. So to all my listeners, both regular and new listeners, all the very best in 2022. I hope it's going to be a great year for you and I hope you will make it great for you and those around you. And before I'm gonna jump into today's episode, important thing for me, Spotify rolled out a feature where you can rate the podcast. So if you listen to this podcast on Spotify, go ahead and leave me rating, five-star rating, appreciate it. Uh, it's a great help for me and for the show. And if you listen to Apple po- on Apple Podcasts, well, you always could rate the podcast in there. So if you haven't done so yet, then go in there and uh, rate the podcast, leave the rating, write a review. This is great help for me. Um, But the new thing is that now you can do it on Spotify as well, okay? So in this episode of the podcast, MarPam is back. We talked with scientists from MarPam project in episode 104, and MarPam deals with marine protected areas, and the whole project is divided into a number of work packages, and today we're going to talk about work package called Coastal Processes. So what are coastal processes? Well, you need to listen to the episode to learn in detail. But before that, I'll share with you a quick story. Uh, nearby where I live, there is a mark where me and my buddy are fishing for bass and sea trout. Actually, not only me and my buddy, there's a, it's a well-known fishing spot. And it consists of a wide and long beach, and there is a channel that is cut by the stream that comes from the nearby mountains, uh, that stream cuts the channel through the beach and goes into the sea. And that's a good fishing spot. Um, But there is always this anticipation after the winter storm season, which is going to end about two months from now, there's always this anticipation, how that channel changed. Because after the winter, that channel, you know, moves to the one or to the other side of the beach. And it sometimes gets deeper, sometimes it gets shallower, and that makes a big difference. You know, in some years, you have a world class fishing in there, and in some other years, um, the, the spot is basically not worth to paying any attention to because the channel is very shallow and there's no point even trying. So, um, these changes are driven by coastal processes, but coastal processes are not only important for. You know fishing or going to the beach they can have much more profound impact so let's say about let's talk about a uh, seafront village and uh, that village has a beautiful sandy beach and obviously the economy of the village and tourism and businesses and everything is built around that beach and about tourism so When that beach starts to disappear or maybe it turns into a gray, stony beach, that can affect livelihood of people living in that village. That can affect tourism. That can affect uh, income, uh, the whole economy of a local community. So it is very important to understand these coastal processes and how they work. And this is exactly what our guests on the podcast are researching. So our guests are... Melanie Bisk and Eduardo Grottoli, by the way folks, I hope I pronounced your names correctly, and they are working on coastal processes uh, trying to understand them, trying to figure out how they're changing uh, coasts and how that impacts, you know, not only economy, like I said but also a uh, ecology, uh, wildlife and that's how it ties into Marpam, which deals with uh, marine protected areas this is very important uh, part of uh, knowledge and research to know how those coastal processes work um, I had a great fun and a great conversation we had a lot of fun and laughter talking about uh, coastal processes and, and uh, uh, Melanie's and Eduardo's research uh, how they do how they measure the stuff and, and, and all that so I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I did uh, enjoy recording that episode. And uh, yeah, just before I let you go, as usual, um if you watching this podcast on YouTube, uh, you notice that I'm wearing a brand new Tommy's Outdoors t-shirt. And you can get those t-shirts. You go to tommy'soutdoors.com t-shirts and you can buy a t-shirt and you get yourself a nice quality cotton t-shirt. And you support the podcast. Uh, it supports me uh, financially, obviously, to bear the cost of the podcast. Um, you can also get them at, at Buy buymeacoffee, buymeacoffee.com slash Tommy's Outdoors, the link in the description of the show. You can go in there and in the extra section, you can buy the t-shirts there as well, but you can also support me and buy me a coffee. That's a great help. Um, oh, and there's one other thing. Um, On thomisoutdoors.com books, there's a list of nature-themed books that I compiled for you. So you can um, uh, look what books I do recommend and you can buy them using provided links. And uh, when you buy the book using one of those links, you'll get a book and I get a small commission. That doesn't uh, affect your price. It's just uh, how the Amazon works, it's a uh, help for me. There's more. If you need a duct tape, you can also go in there, you don't need to buy a book. It's enough if you go to Amazon through one of those links and then you can buy a duct tape and I will also get a small commission. So that way you will get your shopping done, doesn't cost you anything, and I'll get a small commission so uh, you can help me support the podcast while you're doing your shopping on Amazon. And I know you do, okay? right. So that's it for this introduction. Um, Without any further delay, Melanie Busk and Eduardo Grottoli and Coastal Processes. Hello, uh, Melanie and Eduardo, welcome to Tommy Salvador. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you, Thank you, Tommy. It's, uh, this is folks uh, Coastal processes. Uh, but before we ju- we jump into um, the, the main main thrust of the of the podcast, like first of all, uh, this podcast is like a second appearance of, uh, of the folks from MarPAm project, which uh, were' already uh, guests on a on podcast before. And uh, you you working on the I guess the, the the proper name is work package, correct? That's, that's a work yes, package. It is that it's work package? Yes, So so we're working on the coastal processes work package. So I think it's only fair just to start with the round of introductions. You in, you know like what what you do and and uh, how did you get to this point where where you are right now that you're working on those exciting projects, Melanie? Maybe maybe we start with you.
1: Well, um. What am I doing? (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, Just, um, I had, I've done a PhD in uh, coastal processes and uh, physical environments and sciences in France. And uh, just after my PhD, um, I found that uh, job offer from MAPAM, which is exactly what I was doing during my PhD, um, except that we are working more with stakeholders and with more impact into management that I have not really done before. But uh, yeah, it's, it was not the plan at the beginning, but <laughs> ended up in Northern Ireland. Uh, but uh, no regrets on that.
0: It must uh, be shocked, uh, like weather wise, from from France to Northern Ireland.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> and I started in February, so it was not the best month to just <laughs> move to Northern Ireland from the southwest of France, <laughs> let's be honest.
0: It was like a baptism of fire, like, this is, this is what you're getting into.
1: Yeah, it was exactly in the movies when, you know, the, the character is just landing and it's pouring rain and it's very cold. <laughs> and you're like, well, <laughs> that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> Welcome.
0: Welcome. Welcome to Ireland. And what was your PhD? What did you were, you were taking on?
1: So my PhD was uh, about the, the impacts of storms on the sandy coast, on the southwest of France. So I did a lot of uh, field work, measurement of the evolution of the beach, the dune, and trying to understand how um, the storms impact the beach and what is happening after the storm has passed and the erosion has uh, stopped. Uh, how the beach recovers after the storms, um, and how can we help the beach to recover and to avoid floodings. Uh, uh, or measure
0: erosions, that type of stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, that's that's. Uh, I'm excited for this podcast. Uh, this is this is something. <laughs> this, is, this is something. I have questions about this stuff. As an angler, I have questions about this stuff. So all the anglers who are listening to that is like, you know, get ready. We we get in the deep end of like how beach changes after storms. Okay, Edward, how about you? Yeah.
2: yeah. So me, like Melanie, I've done my PhD uh, in coastal geomorphology back in Italy uh i finished my phd in 2015 and then uh i stayed for a few years as a postdoc in italy and then you know at a certain point um, of uh, of your research life let's say you want to change environment try different things and uh, move abroad with uh, working with uh, uh, different kind of people in different kind of topics so i ended up here in northern ireland so the shock for the climate was huge as well still it is and um i started in march so one month later the melanie but the weather wasn't really i kind of i
0: kind of understand you know i come i come from poland so i you know i i also kind of share your pain with you know there's no summer and there's no winter it's all only only like a mild spring and then and then autumn
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So we're on the same page here. Okay, and then and then you ended up working on the on the uh, coastal processes this package in coastal
2: processes as well uh, in in the Barpon project. So uh, we basically uh, study the uh, the impact of storm uh, on the coastal environment from a geomorphic point of view. Yeah.
0: So 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 tell us, like. Coastal pro like what are the coastal processes because uh, is it is it more than just impact of storm on uh, on 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 the, how the how the uh, beaches you know what is the form of the beach and all all that or is it is it is it more like what is the whole thing coastal processes well
1: it's it's more than just the storms because you have um, currents and waves and all those interact all together um even when there is no storms. Uh, one one very famous current, if I can say it like that, are the rip currents because they cause death every years. So that part of coastal processes that we are working on, well, not especially on this project, but I've been working on that type of currents before. So coastal processes is basically all the physics that's um, gonna impact the beach, uh, the dune, and then the people. The, the, if you have like um, Uh, People living by the coast, they're always very scared of floodings. They're always very scared of, uh, is is my uh, house going to end up in the ocean because of erosion? Uh, But those processes and currents and waves and all those interactions are in place, even when there is no storms. Um, That's also why I was interested in my PhD about how the the beach recovers from storms, because there are all those processes that are... um, in action and help the beach to recover and to descend to come back to the shore. So all those processes are basically uh, physics. And uh, so basically waves, currents, all those things that interact with the beach.
0: And, and is there a, and there, is there a component also of uh, of a wildlife, like how wildlife reacts to that or um, does, does, does wildlife uh, in terms of, you know, all the, animals that are that are live on the coast also are is a part of, of those of those uh, coastal processes or are they just like a sort of things that are getting impacted by the coastal processes so it, it, what i'm what i'm getting with that question is like is the focus in this on purely physical stuff that is happening in there or is it like you, you know animals that are living there also are considered of the part of those processes
1: on my work i only worked with uh, physics But uh, we are trying to work, not especially with animals, but more with plants. For example, when we put plants on the dune to just keep the sand there and limit the erosion. Or now they are trying to have more nature-based management. So, for example, planting a um, forest of kelp under the water to try to interact with the waves and to limit the impact of the waves on the shore. That's the kind of thing that are developing uh, at the minute. So we personally i have never really worked uh, with animals, but that's part of the whole map-on project. Some people are working with the seals or some people are are mapping the seabed. And we know that if the seabed is changing, it's because of physical processes. So if some of the species are disappearing from one area, it can be sometimes explained by changes in the currents. or So everything is linked to each other, but we are all working on small specificities I don't know about Eduardo, if he has worked with animals or plants before.
2: No, no, never. Uh, I would say that, yeah, as you, I I study the, the physical processes behind the coastal processes. So animals and vegetation in general are affected, of course, by the coastal processes. So the physics part of the coastal processes and um in this project yeah the main uh, objective is to monitor and managing better managing the marine protected areas so the objective is to better protect animals and vegetation and of course we are uh, delivering uh, the science and the information uh, about the coastal processes so the the basic uh, uh, of that is gonna affect everything basically, so vegetation and animals. Gotcha, gotcha, No,
0: it was that you know I was just trying to establish for for my benefits and the viewers and listeners what are the coastal processes and what so this is like a physical physical stuff is going on. Um, Melanie, you mentioned that people are you, you know you mentioned that 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 human aspect of it and how they are affected by what is happening on the coast. Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to throw it at it right there, right here from, from the beginning, like how, how, how much of that is impact of rising sea levels? Is it going, you know, because of a, of a, of a climate change, is it something that is so slow and minuscule that is actually don't even register on the, what you work, what you do, or is it like a significant component, uh, of, of a work and work? of what you see what's going on on the on the coast
1: well it's already a significant component it goes very fast that's the problem of the whole climate change at the minute it's because those changes are happening already if you look at what happened last year major flooding in in scotland and all of that is part of that changes Uh, we so far we have no we we are not sure what's going to happen. We have models running. We have hypotheses. We have different scenarios, and like going from the extreme one to the lowest one. But every year it's changing, and even the lowest impact is increasing every year. If you look at um, the new IPCC results and everything. Um, but um, in terms of storms, we we kind of we can see that even the the level of the water and the the impact of storms are, are increasing. It's, it's not that it's more violent, but yet there is more and more what we would call extreme events that would have been pretty rare before, but they are getting more and more common. Um, and therefore, the impacts they have on the coast are, are bigger and bigger. Um, because the, the coast doesn't really have time to recover after the winter, the next winter is just keep impacting and impacting. And you don't have that full recovery you will have in between usually. And in here, you, we even, that's what's pretty really rare in France when I was working. And in here, we always, we also rec, um, record some storms during the summer season. And the summer season is supposed to be more calm and the season for the beach to recover and to be ready for the next winter. And I think that one of the major problems right now is that the, the system doesn't have time to fully recover before. The next attack if i can say that like that and at the end it's just that's how you ended up having a lot of erosion it's just because it's attacking all the time and you don't really have time to recover
0: gotcha gotcha it's so it's not so much like a sea level rise but that actually yeah the, the the storms and everything else that's going on
1: but the problem because the origin of some storms come from the difference of the temperature between the air and the and the water so if the water is warmer then you create more interactions, and then you create more storms. And it's, it's a whole thing that is um, just impacting each other. It's like a cascade. So you have one thing happening, and then it's cascading on something else, which is cascading on something else, on something else, on something else, until it reaches us, and then we're getting concerned about oh, what is happening now.
2: Another problem I would focus also is that from a common citizen point of view, If you know that the level is going to rise, I don't know, a few centimeters in the next 10 years or 20 years, you may be not really aware uh, how much uh, dangerous this is going to be because you have to imagine that if the mean sea level is rising, so is the basic level of the sea is rising, also the effect of the storms are going to be more harmful uh, further inland. So uh, considering that, Basically, half of the world population is living on the coast. Two-thirds of the major cities are in danger due to the future projection of sea level rise. You have to be aware that it's not just a slow rising of the sea level, but you're going to have mm, strongest stronger storm affecting more uh, inland because the level has risen
0: so and, and like i guess with everything when it comes to natural processes it's so complex and there's so many variables that that are all interacting with each other and uh are you in your work also focusing like i mean you specifically not not the Marpa as, as a whole are you also focusing on communication with with you know let's say stakeholders I, I i kind of hate that that term because it's so broad and it's like who are the stakeholders but are you are you also you know, concern about communicating communicating these issues to to people, to you know, local communities, and so on. Or you more focused on like, well, we we gathering hard evidence, hard data, and 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 this is this is your main focus. I'm trying kind of to establish like you know how how your uh, day of work and at Marpam look like.
2: Actually, uh, the relationship, let's say, with the stakeholders is quite uh, a big part in Marpam because every three months, we have a steering group meeting. So we present our results to the stakeholders. And of course, we have questions from them. Um, especially, I can bring the example of our study site. Our study site is located in the southeastern side of Northern Ireland. So it's facing the Irish Sea, is uh, Dundron Bay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and. Um, There are many stakeholders locally involved in that era. We have uh, the golf course. We have the uh, military base. We have a special area of conservation, uh, the National Trust and um, the Newcastle Municipality. So all these stakeholders, of course, have questions. They want to solve some specific problem, but it's really hard to uh, let them interact with each other and with the scientists. So, what is really hard, still hard, is to create a common discussion um, to w- within all the the people involved in the, in the in this project and in this problem. Everybody is pulling in their own direction, right? Which is quite, I mean, it's natural. It's the the human nature,
0: I would say. Yeah, I, I saw Melanie, you're, you're smiling. <laughs> Do you, you have any, anything to add to this?
1: Yeah, I'm smiling because um, it's always very complicated. The communication is very complicated between the scientists and everybody else, to be fair. <laughs> um, the, 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 the problem is um, because they are reacting to some emergencies, so they want to have answers now. And when you're studying, you need time to understand. You cannot say, oh, we we observed that for a year. And also we're going to decide that it's going to be the same thing for the next five or ten years. That's, that's not how it works. So it takes time to really understand the processes and how it's happening. But because they have some emergencies they have to answer to, they're like, we need answer now. What should we do? And we're like, well... I- for now, it, look, it looks that it's going this way, but... And that's not the answer they want. They don't want a but. They want to be sure, which is understandable if they want to start, um, create a plan for to manage the coast and to protect the people uh, and to protect the nature too, because the National Trust is also all about nature and protecting the environment. Um, they want answers and they want us to give the answers and they want us to be 100% sure about what we are saying. Because otherwise, they're going to blame it on us. That's for sure. You, you, you've <laughs> been, like, you've been on that, that beach
0: that. for entire year. Tell us now what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> you, I... should <laughs> you
1: should know. You
0: should know. Oh man.
1: You are the scientist. You should know. So if you're saying something, it has to be true. Because otherwise, we're going to come back for you. <laughs> 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 oh dear And it's 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 not specific to ireland or anywhere mm-hmm. else well. it's the same everywhere it was the same in france i was working on a um, very touristic area and the the beach was completely disappearing it's like it's eroding every year and you know like oh we want to build a five-year pla- management plan uh, so we need you to tell us what to do and i was like okay what do i do and, <laughs> I, I, so I have my own conclusion, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> That's also the other problem sometimes because they have something in mind and they want to do something, but then you're telling them there's no point of doing that. It's just it's you're going to lose time and money. And they're like, well, what's the solution? Well, the solution is to move, guys. <laughs> like, why are not doing that?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they already want something to confirm their bias and to confirm they're like we should like put pour concrete all over this thing and that will solve the problem and exactly. <laughs> and now, and now <laughs> let's get some scientists to, to confirm our great idea and then you come in is like ah uh, you know not no not no, no, that's not going to work <laughs> that's that's yeah that's exactly that
1: <laughs> unfortunately that's how. um and so the communication is not always easy and, um, but also because we don't really work on the same time scales, they're always in emergency when they decide to do something, it's usually because it's almost too late. Yeah. Um,
0: yes. Yes.
1: It's, it's, it's not into, and so now they are trying to more, uh, be into, um, protect and, uh, think in advance instead of just reacting to an emergency but it's still in progress, <laughs> so it still takes time, and we know that we are already in uh, an emergency situation for a lot of um, places. So um, it's not, it's not, it's not an easy communication, but we are working on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, hopefully, podcasts like this one, you know, will will you know people who listen to that, they will sh- hopefully listen to our conversation, and can hear your frustrations, like uh, you know, <laughs> just get a better understanding.
1: It's always a good opportunity to do um, podcasts like that, or any time. Well, we went to a school once to talk with children. Um, It's always good opportunities to directly talk to people, Mm -hmm. because when you're a scientist, you write papers, but the papers are more directed to other scientists, or you go to conferences and you talk with other scientists. So every occasion you can have to talk about people, because those. All the people who has the, the who have the main questions, they are living on the coast and they are scared and they they want to understand what is happening. So it's always I think it's way more interesting to be able to talk with people than to just stay into scientists and to say, oh, that's a good idea. We <laughs> should try that. <laughs>
0: And and listen folks like what how how big of a part of your work is actual you know field work where you driving quads through the on the beach and you know doing cool stuff and how much of your work is you know in front of the computer crunching numbers
2: well i would say yeah field work is basically i don't know 20 30% of the time and the rest is in front of a computer so we are always or in the field work or in front of a computer for the entire day. And um, the funny part is, of course, the field work. Melanie and I, we go to this study site uh, once a month, at least, to measure the beach surface uh, with a GPS mounted on a quad bike, so we can monitor the short-term changes of the beach through the time. And then, of course, we are also working on the long-term data set we have collected from uh, historical maps, historical uh, aerial photos, satellite images, and and historical data, uh, because we also need to uh, study the coastal processes in, in the long term, because You can stay uh, monitoring a beach for two, three, five years, even 10 years. But maybe there is a a huge storm event that happens every 50, every 100 years, and you have no records for that. So it's also important to both look to the small scale, temporal spatial small scale, and uh, a longer scale
0: how predictable are those those bigger events i mean like does it does it even really matter because the things like like melanie said the things are changing so fast right now that they're the i'm just guessing that if there is a particular location when you know like oh there was like a you know big massive storm or catastrophic storm every 30 years does it even matter now because then it's like every 20 every 10 and you know it's like every second year right now i,
1: I would say that the storms are has was hard to predict. Like if you look at the at the forecast for the next day, predicting rain and you go out and it's not raining. So uh, predicting on on longer term is it's really hard. And um, and now we are also concerned that that was part of my PhD. We realized that sometimes not extreme events, not only extreme events will have huge impact, and we have what we call cluster of storms, which are normal. If I can say that, normal, smaller storms, but there are a lot of storms, a succession of of two, three or four storms, and the results of those three or four storms are bigger than an extreme event that would happen every 20 years. And the problem is that those small storms are normal storms that happen often. So at the end, the results is even bigger than a big event. Uh, so, and that's not that's something that wasn't taken into account before. Even in the when you were running models, we always based the models on extreme events, but not on a succession of smaller events. Uh, but now we're re- realizing that's a mistake because the the impacts on the on the cost of those clusters can be bigger than huge events. So. It's, we're understanding more and more, but the more we understand, the more complicating it gets to predict.
0: Always like that, right? The more you understand, the more questions you have, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and folks, tell me how, how you're, like, for, for, the, for the benefit of, of, of listeners and viewers, how your work look like when you, when you, like you, you mentioned, you monitoring your the, the, the shoreline, the beach with GPS devices. And like, like can you, you know, kind of describe, how that look like?
1: So I'm trying to let him talk all the way. I can't talk about my work all day. So.
0: <laughs> very good. Very <laughs> You're good.
1: You're not gonna get bothered with that weird accent. <laughs> 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 but yeah, basically, so we are using a very very precise GPS uh, that we have on the on the quad bike, and we are doing what we call cross profile, so going from the dune towards the sea and measuring a point every meter. So at the end, we are able to um, process the data and also mapping the whole beach and to be able to look at the variations on the beach and where it's eroding, where it's um, uh, gaining sand, uh, what are the structure we can identify. We also are measuring the dune foot so we can see if there is some erosion of the dune. So that's what we are doing with the GPS so it's it's like it's like a GPS for your car except that the the accuracy is a centimeter. Oh. So, and yeah. is
0: it is it the, you're you're measuring also the 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 height or elevation? elevation? Yeah.
1: yeah, so you have the the three the three um space How good is the GPS
0: at at measuring elevation? I thought that it's not particularly accurate at, at measuring. Yeah,
1: that. so the GPS we have are very, very accurate. It's like ten. It's less than ten centimeters. Oh, it's uh, the reason is that we have also a, um, what we call the base station. So we set up a base station in some point, and it's linked to the satellites. So uh, because it's on the same point, and we know exactly the position of that point, we can calculate in real time uh, the differences, and uh, we can. Have the corrections sent to our GPS on the beach on real time, so it's auto correcting all the time. So it improves the the accuracy drastically.
0: Yeah, I I watched the video when you when you're driving these quad bikes on the beach, and it's like looks like fun. But my question is like, how are they protected from the salt water? It must be horrible for for the (laughs) mechanical parts on it. Like I I I dropped my mountain bike in the into the salt water once, and it was completely like literally. Killed it. I had to replace everything. <laughs> it is horrible indeed. Yeah.
2: I remember, after the first survey we did more than two years ago, uh, I had all the GPS parts completely blocked because of the salt. So uh, it was terrible. Yeah. You have to maintain those instruments very well. Every uh, at the end of every survey, you have to clean your instruments as much as possible because salt is terrible, as you mentioned.
0: And the bike as well. Uh, well, for the bike as well, yes, we
2: we have um, uh, an annual, let's say, uh, check for the quad bikes.
0: Annual. So, annual. Yeah. I would th- I would I would imagine that it was going to be absolutely dead after one year of what you do like do you have a mechanic? does Marpam have like a quad bike mechanic or are you guys just going yourself with WD-40 and kind of spraying and like hope
1: (laughs)
2: WD-40 but it's not enough no no we go to the uh, to the place to the place where we where we uh, boat the the quad bike once a year to to check the quad bike yeah
1: yeah, the guys the guys also used to work with us, and we bought all the quads. It's not we were not the first working with the quads, so they are used to that, and they kind of use a special wax. So they wax the the bottom of the quad,
0: ah. so
1: it doesn't it kind of retain the sand and the salt. So for a while, and then after a year, you kind of need to redo it before it gets really bad, and we have to clean the, the quad a after every service too.
0: Gotcha. That was, that was my thank question. Thank you
1: guys for the for the for the walks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Shout outs. <laughs> yeah I was they, thinking. Could
1: be, they, could be, they could be like, no we're not doing that and you have to buy a quad a new quad bike well new quad bike every year. But no, they are being very professional. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: very good, very good. Um
2: and you have to imagine also that we We use the quad bike also during the night because we have to go there of course when the there is low tide Mm -hmm. and the low tide sometimes is on during night so you don't have visibility at all (laughs) even if you have lights on your quad bike and when you enter the the water you of course try to go as low as much as possible but sometimes you don't really realize how much water you have in front of you? So no, you, you drown the
0: quad bike.
2: <laughs> on you and on your quad, so we are not helping to to maintain. What the quad happened quad on
1: fieldwork? Must stay on fieldwork in water.
2: You <laughs> <laughs> can cut this part, Tom.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very good very good no it's interesting um and when you when you're doing these things on the on the beach you do, you're driving around have you have you met and you know how often you're you know meet members of the public I mean surfers anglers people is there any is there any issue with that or are you trying to kind of like the time no you're not trying to pick the because you say you, you go where you have to go so I mean you have a, like a situation like there is a, like a very stubborn angler with with their rods it's like no I'm not moving I'm fishing here and like get out with your bike or you have like a bunch of people who are just camping and it's like oh, how do I do how am I gonna do this
1: I think people are mostly interesting about, about what we are doing because they' they know what's happening it's usually because it's either uh, very early in the morning or late in the evening because of the low tide. It's usually people that are walking the dog or, or used to go to the beach. So they, they saw changes. It's always very interesting, actually, to talk to them because they knew the site better than you. And they were like, oh, when I was a child, that was very different. The beach was there. And it's actually interesting to talk to them. Um, I've never really met anybody very angry or anything. They're mostly very interested in what we are doing. Um, kind of keen to help also if they can do something. Um, but we're driving quads. So usually sometimes you have somebody just staying in the middle and doing like, Hey, can you stop? I have questions, but because you're driving, it's, um, you, you don't really take more time. Uh, when I was doing my PhD, I was walking on the beach with the GPS. So obviously people were following me. So, <laughs> so you have more time to talk with them. But, um,
0: so now it's an upgrade. You're just, you're just motorized now.
1: <laughs> no, it's easy. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, but you know this is this is the this is the moment like uh when I can share my story we, we, you know why I'm so interested in that because there is a there's a, a place not far from where I sit right now where we go fishing and there is a sort of a formation of the beaches like a, the the beach is very long, let's say and it it drops very 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 you know a, the gradient is very small. So if you go fishing and you wanna be like a waist deep, you have to really walk way out there in the in the water and so on. And then in the middle of that is like a deep channel. And obviously there, you know, that's where the fish hangs out. And I, I was like at the beginning because obviously, you know, I like I I wasn't aware of you know how the you know coastal processes work. I can use the term now and pretend I I know what I'm talking about, right? So I didn't know how coastal (laughs) processes work, and and I was surprised like after winter storms, how the place changes. And it it was also almost almost to the point where I was uh, calling my fishing buddy and said like, hey, how does you know this and this beach look like? This is no man. There's gonna be no fishing this year on that beach. Because the channel moved, or the channel was not there anymore, or like, you know, he sent me an email all excited, it's like, "Hey man, this this channel is like, remember three years ago when we like had like ten fish in one session? Yeah, it's there again." We, so <laughs> I, I I guess it, it and it's always so interesting, you know, after what what we call like a winter storms time. To go and see those those beaches and say like oh how the change you know where the where the channel move when with that so I I guess this is pretty much what you do except you do this methodically and to the you know centimeters and crunching all the data while we just go in there and it's like Ooh, like <laughs> let's have a look how the beach <laughs> looks like this year uh, but it's pretty much the same thing right yes
1: exactly. Um, because the, the environment we're working on at the minute doesn't move as fast. People are, are it takes more time. It's usually, oh, I remember when I was a child, there was a beach in Newcastle and then there is just pebbles. There is no sandy beach. Where is the sand? What happened? Um, and also one of the part of the bay is, is uh, belongs to uh, the MOD, so the army. So not a lot of people are going on this side. So they don't know that the sand is the air, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the army stole your sand, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so the changes that that you're... You know, I guess what I'm getting at, it, like, so this is not, not often that happens that the changes are significant from year to year. Or is it like different types of the coast coastline that yeah. some changes annually, some changes in the, you know, decades?
1: It's more, yeah, it's more because we're working in the bay so it's kind of closed. So if you don't have big storm coming in, and it's also linked to the Irish Sea where you don't have those big storms coming in and those big waves. So obviously the processes are slower. Uh, I was working on the southwest of France where the, the waves are big. And I can tell you on three days after a storm, you can see massive changes on the beach. That was more like the case. So, oh, the channel has changed and the bar is, is closer to the shore or the bar is further away. And it's where it's really interesting because so we do that with our methods. Um, when we can have camera, camera looking at the beach, it's even better because you can have a, an eye on what's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. But because you're doing field work, but you cannot be there all the time. So sometimes you come and you're like, oh, there's this massive change that I was not expecting. And you're like, why? And then the surfers will come and say, oh, yeah, the bar has moved there. So the waves are bigger there. So they're better for the surf because the bar has moved. Uh, we saw that because we were surfing there, and then we moved there. And just because they are kind of using all those uh, things without really knowing in the scientific way, but they know. So it's always very interesting to talk to people because they would be like, oh, yeah, but I remember two years ago that happened already, and then you can think about patterns. And so you have like some clicking in your in your brain to say, oh, then I should check. The video that I have from two years ago to see if it was the same thing and what is that, but that can come just by talking with the people that are there all the time and are using or surfing or going uh, swimming or fishing.
0: And how predictable are those changes? Or is it like is there is there a way of, uh, you know, I, I know that I asked kind of similar questions before, but I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, like. Even taking like a regular angler who is interested like you know how the how the channel will move from year to year is is there you know and I'm not even you know talking about like that someone can predict that where they go fishing next year, but in general like from your work, the patterns that you're that emerge do, is is this something that can be predicted in any way or the character is so chaotic and random that there is literally no way. Of saying what's going to happen because it all depends of like you know from which direction the storm is going to hit and and so on and so forth. It depends
2: on the the data you have. Basically, if you have a, a very long time series of data, you can do some statistical analysis, for example. And when you know uh, how the energy is delivered on your study site, and how it was delivered in the previous year decades, you can. Uh, see to the you can check the the geomorphic pattern of your beach and expect something similar for the the future mm-hmm. and then of course you have to use models so you can use uh, other dynamic models so it means using wave time series uh, tidal range and uh, see how uh, your beach is gonna change in the next. 20, 50 years, mm-hmm. changing the these parameters of waves or tidal range and also uh, about the topography of the beach. It's not an easy task, for sure, because there are so many, many factors involved and you're not going to have a really precise and accurate uh, f- future prediction, but the more data you have, the more it gets complicated, like Melanie said before but also the more uh, you you reach your, your target, let's say.
1: Yeah, if I can give you an example. The thing with models, you have to keep in mind that it's not the reality. So you have to make a hypothesis. You have to simplify some of the processes, otherwise the models crash. Hmm. Um, so it's not the reality. And a typical example that I use uh, often is the winter 2013 and 2014, um, with has. Massive impacts, loads of erosion on the, on the, um, on the Western Europe and in France was terrible. And the erosion we observed was something that was predicted by the model for the next hundred years. And this is how we realized also that there are some very important processes that we probably uh, forgot to put or just saying, oh, they are less important than others and just. Being like, so I'm going to focus on that instead of this one. And then we were completely off. But that's because that was a very, very unexpected winter. So you have predictions that works. They do work. We know that we can focus on this part because it's going to be more eroded because... All the the wave action is kind of focused on this area, and this one has more risk of a of a flooding. And this part of the dune is uh, um, less uh, fixed, so you will have more erosion. Or even wish just with the wind, you have those tendencies. But you cannot be highly precise because anything can happen. And this winter, two thousand thirteen and fourteen, kind of reminded us how. We need to be careful about what we are projecting and what we are saying.
0: Are these models, are these statistical models? Are they machine learning models? Do you use machine learning in, the, in, in these predictions?
1: Yeah, you have, mo- you have lots of different models depending on what you're focusing. You have very complex models that uses hydrodynamics, but also coastal morphology, uh, etc. And you have them that are just hydrodynamic models. Some just are just morphological models. Some that are just focused on the waves. So sometimes you have this model that is just focused on the waves that we are using, for example, which, which is called SWAN. So you can, and then you can use that model into another m- more complex model. So it kind of, it can be very, very complicated quite, quite quickly. Hmm. But, um, and it, as the said, it also depends on the quality of the data set that you have, uh, the, the validation of the models.
0: Eduardo, you are you were looking like you were to add something. No, no, I
2: was actually agree with Melanie. Hmm. It's really really complicated, and I would say that uh, given the current context of sea level rise and the future projection pro- projection of uh, sea level rise, we also I think we also have to accept the idea that we have to adapt to these extreme events because they are going to be more uh, frequent and there is no uh, single solution for every study site, for every location in the world. So sometimes you may have to um, accept the idea that you're going to be flooded. In other cases, you may uh, accept the idea that you have to retreat from the shorelines, which is not easy because you have then the, uh, half of the population living on the coast so it's very it's very complicated and then after the science, of course there is the politics and who we'll have to decide what we are what do you want to do in the future.
0: Like based on what you're saying, like it seems to me like you, you're working on a particular site. you're working on a particular beach and there's a particular site. It seems to me like there should be like hundreds if not thousands people like you, Doing that job on literally every or a lot of places, a lot of sites, like how I'm just wondering, like how how to formulate questions because I kind of made a statement, and and you, I I see you agree with that, but is is it do you do you (laughs) see this being, you know, like a standard thing deployed in the future? that that people with your skill set rather than working in the academic environment and writing papers will be more, you know, needed and and employed and deployed on, you know, everywhere in the coastal areas and doing this sort of um, research or because of the time scales like, like Melanie alluded to, it's not really practical and it's not not really not going to happen, which by extension means that some places are lucky that they have people like you who measured and have a models and, you know, come back with some predictions or some um, uh, suggestions. And then there are the other, you know, 90% of other places where stuff happens and no one has an idea what's going to happen.
2: Well, it's like it's like that, as you said, basically. <laughs> if we want to involve more people doing this job, of course, Melanie and I—we're we, gonna be happy because <laughs> it means we have a, a, a bright uh, working future ahead. Mm. But yeah.
0: that's a that's a business oppor- that's a business opportunity. Coastal processes <laughs> consulting,
2: <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, no, actually, the tendency is that mm, the funds are are uh, scarce, so they are uh, decreasing more or less everywhere. It depends on the country. Mm-hmm. And to get this kind of funds is not is not easy. So you can rely on the uh, European funds, for example, if you are in Europe. Then you have the same in the in the US. Uh, but at the end, uh, I mean, in, in our specific um, topic, the trend I see is that the remote sensing and the models are the most. How can I say? a popular topic right now. So it means that you're going to involve more machine learning, more uh, computers, uh, processing, and more skills in in that kind of sense. So uh, coding also. So people who is able to go on the field like us is actually a minority, I would say, in our field right now. No doubt. No doubt, but you always need that because you always have to validate your models, to validate your uh, machine learning techniques with what actually happens on the field.
1: Well, yeah, I was about to say what Eduardo said about uh, it's 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 very sad, but it's a lot about the money. So you need funding for those projects. So that's why you end up on working on the site we're working. I was working on a, a site in France because it's very touristic. So yeah. Oh, so we had there's tourist to money on that. Yeah. So that's how. That's very, very sad because there are some places that need to be studied, but there is no funding, so nobody's going there. It doesn't mean that it's not important. It just means that if you don't have the money to do it, then you don't have equipment, and then you cannot do your work. Um, but this is how now using satellite images, for example, in remote sensing, as Eduardo was saying, it, it kind of gives you an access to everywhere without having to pay. So um, sometimes you can have some fundings and you can work on a lot of different places. You have bigger um, scales. Uh, You can see, instead of focusing on a very small area, you have bigger area. The problem is the accuracy is not as good as the GPS.
0: Uh Okay. Yeah, so can you explain the remote sensing?
1: So basically, now they are developing... Uh, satellites that are precise en- precise enough for us to use satellite images to look at the erosion of the coastline. And because the satellites have been uh, uh, working for 10, 20, 30 years, even more, you have a very long term um, sets of images you can work with. Um, the problem is, like I said, uh, the accuracy of the, of the, of the images are not as good as the centimeters. So you, you're not as precise. You can have tendencies, but you will not have the precision you will have with a camera on the site or with people measuring directly points with the GPS. But it's evolving and it's being used more and more. Uh, The drones are also used more and more. But like I used to say, because people were asking me when I was doing my PhD, why are you going on the field, walking on the beach so, so long? twice or th- three times a week while you can you just use a, a drone and I was like huh, how is the the drone working when there is no light when there is too much wind when it's stormy I'm focused on storms so the drone will not survive I will kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need you still, you still need people to go back to the basics if you want to have the more accurate data mm-hmm. because we are developing more and more um, um, remote sensing, which means that you don't have to be on site to have those uh, data, but you will never have the accuracy of, of being on the site. And I've seen people working with just satellite images and don't really realize uh, how the, the site was. And then going on the beach and be like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think there was like that. I didn't think the the June was um, uh, this shape. You couldn't really see that on on the images. So that kind of changes stuff. So
0: that knows that uh, every angler who is looking for this for a mark on Google Earth. It's like, yeah, that's gonna be a great place, and then arrives at the beach. It's like, oh, I, you know, that's that. <laughs> It's like not the place you expected. So I guess that's exactly what you're what you're referring to. And
1: and depending on where you're working, if you look if you look at images of Ireland, there is clouds all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you got you you gotta like an infrared or something because otherwise it won't work. Yes, 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 yes. Uh in general, how understood are those coastal processes, and and how you know is it still a domain of scientists and the scientific you know projects and institutions, or is this something that people are becoming more because you know what, what I'm when I'm aiming with this is like with changing climate more you know these violent events bigger and everything that we said to, to, to this point like more and more people even in local communities are start thinking i start asking questions right like oh okay what's gonna happen to my house um you know is it gonna be flooded is it gonna be you know like even uh like you mentioned uh, melanie from a t- tourist perspective right there's a there's a town or city that depends on tourism uh, because they have a great beach and great cliffs and then if that thing goes you know, will be destroyed or just changed. That's a massive economical impact. So, I guess, do you see the the this discipline as an emerging uh, and being more popular and commercialized and and deployed on the you know like like as a as a, as a just regular services, or is it always going to be a domain of scientists and and in scientific and academic institutions?
2: Of course, our, uh, our topic is relatively young, I would say. Mm-hmm. So it started, I don't know, um, before the Second World War. Uh, it, it started to be studied in a modern way, let's say. Uh, but of course, um, if you look to the outside of the academia, you have jobs uh, mainly related to the engineering uh, construction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Which is not really good for our, from our point of view, because whatever you put on a shoreline, on a coast, uh, whatever construction you build, the the construction, the structure is gonna affect for sure the the physical environment of your beach. So you can protect uh, a specific uh, touristic area, but you're gonna shift the problem next to next to this location. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe Melanie, I don't know if you have something to add. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: there, there, are, I think there are more and more um, private companies that now uh, want to do coastal managing. So, like in what we're saying, more into engineering, because, like I said, when they want answers, they don't want scientists who study the beach for three or four years and then come up with some sort of plan or, or saying, "Oh, yeah, but you cannot." do what you wanted to do
0: we have really accurate model after three years of like we have really accurate model as that that's what uh, not what i paid you for <laughs> what am that i going to do happens. with that model they're,
1: they're like I, I i don't want to hear that that's not what i want to hear i just want you to come up with a solution and it's going to save the coast <laughs> okay but uh, so you sh- not now and it's getting more and more um common to have people going directly towards engineers and to say okay i have a problem I need a solution and there are engineers, that's what they do. They have a problem and they answer to that problem, but then they don't have the, the background or the study of the site to have the, protect, the protection for a long-term and how it's going to impact. And that's how in the 70s, they started to build to build seawalls everywhere. And 30 years after, I'd be like, oh, that, that wasn't good at all. <laughs> on the short term, it does protect what you want to protect, but on the long-term, it's just changing everything. So every time you are doing something on the coast, you will have an impact. So it can be good at the beginning and bad later on, and you don't know because it will take ten or twenty years to really show that it has bad impact. But you did your job because if you needed. You have an, an emergency. You want a solution for that emergency, and that did work. So yeah. But the problem is you have to think ahead, and now we are trying to do that to say, okay, that can work right now for the next five years, but then it's just the impact on the long term is going to be worse. So we need to think about new new other way to think and other way to protect and other way to manage. Uh, but all those private companies are developing because yes, there is work. There is people searching for solution. And when you're in, an engineer, that's your work and you're doing your work well, as long as you're doing what you're, people are asking for you to do. You want to protect that area? Yes, I will do that, and it's going to protect it. That's your work. That's done.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's, it's, tell us, like, what what are the effects of the of the sea walls? like in, in general, <laughs> like more more specific question, like what what's what's yeah, what's, 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 go, what's what is happening?
1: I've I've worked on some. I'd say the we don't really have. We have one small seawall uh, on the on the site we are working on, but. Um, I've, on the the site I was working, I had a very, very wild beach because it belonged to the MOD. Then I had this spot that was really um, managed with sea walls because it was for the tourists. And you can see that because of the seawall, so the shoreline is not moving because it's fixed, but the shoreline around is kind of eroding. And uh, there is what we call the end-of-wall effect, which is, When the waves are breaking, then they're going through the seawall and then they're enhancing the erosion on each side, on each end of the seawall. So you will have this small part that is fixed and then the shoreline retreating and it's even more retreating in those areas because it kind of focused the action of the wave there. So Mm -hmm. we are still trying to understand how exactly the waves are bouncing and how it's it's happening in terms of uh, processes, like very physics but you can see the results
0: and this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. That, that's yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that explanation. Listen folks, I have one one other question. Uh, I, I like when it comes to topography of the beach, like now I'm just pretending I'm using terms and I'm butchering the thing that's correct me. Right. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to topography of the beach, I, I, I heard you, I think Edward, you mentioned the rich and Ronald type of type of beach so is there like a classification of types of beaches or or like, like, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. The
2: the expert is belly, but I can say something and then Melanie can, of course, uh, add something else. Yeah. Region runnel is basically a term, uh, an old term used to identify intertidal sandbars. So it means uh, that you have these, uh, uh, sandbars parallel to the shorelines in the intertidal part of the beach, so between the low and the high tide. And these are specific uh, geomorphic features that develop in only in certain uh, physical conditions, so you cannot find them everywhere in the world. You, you can find them, of course, if you have a, a good uh, high-tidal excursion, and uh, if you have a specific type of sediments
0: mm-hmm.
2: and a specific type of wave, wave energy. Uh, in our study site, uh, we have a lot of region runnel, which now are called basically <laughs> multiple inter- intertidal bars. <laughs> this is the new you. name? This is the new name that Melanie <laughs> gave to this kind of uh, morphology.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Uh, this is not me.
1: <laughs>
2: Not not just you, but, I mean, uh, you brought uh, a huge...
0: uh...
1: I put it on the map, but that was not coming from from the
0: For the purpose of the podcast, it's you, Melania. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, so basically the the story of the name is because uh, it has been used when it it was firstly described, and then other research team in the U.S. used that term to describe stuff that were completely different. Oh. And so when we started to study region models, I got a bit confused because I had papers describing stuff that had nothing to do with it. So we published recently a paper when I do a review of all those studies and all those names and trying to say, okay, we probably should use the term multiple and total bars instead of Richard Rommels okay. uh, because this term has been used for a lot of different things, so it doesn't really describe what it is. Oh, okay. So that's why I'm teasing Eduardo when he's saying the Ridge and <laughs> Rommels because we did publish that paper, Eduardo. <laughs>
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but but they, I mean, like, there is a like a f- f- finite number of these types of topographies. Is 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 there, is, or is it like every? There's so many of them that they're called different. So outside of this intertidal bars, there are some other types as well. Could you could you throw a few names at us?
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah um, so the what are the most intertidal... most common
0: like maybe like what are the most common like people people will be you know most the likely most... to see?
1: The most common will be um, the, uh, the system with one or two subtidal bars, so that's the bars that are off- offshore and they are always under the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, the multiple intertidal bars are those bars that are um, you can see at low tide and then they'll cover at high tide. Um, so that's it's a very different type of environment, and it means that the, the waves are going to break at different areas. You have When you have the subtidal bars, you have the, those waves breaking on those bars, so it kind of protected the whole system, the beach and the dune inside. While you have those intertidal bars, uh, the, the, the waves are breaking closer to the shore, so it's a very different type of environment. But the most common are subtidal bars that you can find everywhere in the world. Uh, the, the multiple and the tidal bars can be found anywhere in the world too, but you kind of have, <clears throat> sorry, you kind of have, um, you need some specific conditions in terms of the energy of the waves or uh, otherwise they don't, they don't form, they don't take place. So you don't have this um, environment, but um, gotcha. the subtitle bars would be the, the most common. Gotcha.
0: Okay is folks um, to wrap this show up uh, I I will ask a question I will ask you a question like I always ask um, especially scientists because your your folks are very close to these things and you 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 see everyday impacts um, both like human activity that have and uh, changing climate you know you can argue changing climate is also human uh, impact what are your you know, predictions for the future. Like, are you optimistic for the future? And you think, like, yeah, you know, we'll, we 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 uh, we actually see that this is not good. What's hum- what's what's happening? And we, you know, we start doing the right thing, or is it the right thing is so complex and so political and so difficult that you're not that optimistic for the future? I'm I'm curious. Well,
2: uh, from from my point uh, of view, I think we are already late, but we have to start to do something to stop the greenhouse emissions uh, of course now everyone is talking about to stop completely gas uh, green gas uh, greenhouse emissions sorry by 2050 but uh, even if you improve uh, if you decrease the emissions of uh, greenhouse uh, emissions is going to be a good um, a good target i, I think and I, uh, like I was saying before, I think you also need to realize that you're going to see for sure future uh, catastrophic events, let's say, and you just need to adapt. I mean, the, the main quality of human, I think, is uh, the adaptability, even when you have to deal with uh, bad things, like in this case. So the main thing to me is to adapt, basically.
0: Okay, so you're optimistic with the caveat that we yeah. be begin- good. Your optimism springs from the point that, that we adapt to the stuff that's coming rather than we stop it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, uh, you have to improve uh, as much as you can, but uh, I think it's really too late to stop it completely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not really optimistic, to be fair. Um, I think that the main problem is for us because everybody wants to do a little but if we don't change the way our economy works this is not gonna work we get well I was very surprised when we went into the first lockdown and we saw so many changes good changes in terms of um, of emissions in terms of uh, how the, the animals in the, the wild everything was going better and like in three weeks so we were like, oh, that's amazing. It means that there is still hope for things to be better. But on on those perspectives, then we were out of lockdown and then we went back into our old habits. Uh, And the problem, I think, is, first of all, we need to think worldwide and stop thinking country by country or even Europe or it's like, it's it's a massive problem for everyone. It's not, not some countries can say, oh, okay, we have enough money so we can do something a bit different for the, the economy. Another country saying, well, we are dying there. We don't have any money to do anything. So ecology is not our priority. The priority is for people to be fed. So I think as long as we are all trying to do stuff, but on our side and not working all together, that will still be a problem. And like Eduardo was saying, there's some something of coming. We know that the sea level is going to rise. We don't know how much, but we know it's happening. It's already happening. So we need to adapt. We need to think about other way to live and to to say, okay, if this town is going to be flooded every year, maybe we should just retreat. It's going to cost money to retreat, but that's the only thing we can do because if we can't put it, if we want to put a wall here, then it's going to be a problem for the next town and so instead of thinking, even for management, uh, even just for Ireland or anything, everybody's doing some management, but on their own site and not really talking to each other. So as long as we are not talking to each other trying to have a global solution, this is not going to work.
0: Right. That, that wasn't terribly optimistic, that. <laughs> but at least it was honest. <laughs> Listen, folks, uh, thank you so much for your time. It, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and uh now, now now I and and our listeners know more about coastal processes know what it is and uh, um how how people like is there any any final message that you want to leave like how people can uh, either support Marpam or support your work or how people can reach you or, or MarPam, is there anything um you, you want to just leave us with
2: well there is a website uh now I can remember exactly yeah I put it in in the... in the show notes yeah and of course, if someone needs our contact, we are. I mean, I'm free to, to give my contact to everyone who has questions.
0: So, so either either through through Tommy's Outdoors podcast or just Marpam website. And I think there's there's science and coastal processes in the in the, in the menu. Yeah, there is. A,
1: yeah, there is the website, and also we are both working for the Ulster University, so you can easily find our contact on the Ulster website.
0: Oh, perfect, perfect.
1: But uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch, I will be really happy to talk about all of this. And if people are, I'm, I'm an ocean lover. I, I dive, I, I surf. So I love the ocean as much as uh, all people. So if anyone wants to talk about what is happening and want to learn more, I will be really happy to to talk about it.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you for that. Thanks, folks. See ya. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having